Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thank you for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and future, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. Today, another interview from our Work With Purpose and National Perspective series, hosted by Dr Gordon Debrower. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a national perspective, a podcast about the Australian Public Service. I'm Gordon Debrower, and I'm the IPA National President. And today, I'm delighted to host Irma Ranieri, South Australian Commissioner for Public Sector Employment. Irma was appointed Commissioner on uh, in July 2014, and she's been working passionately to create a world-leading public sector that serves Australian South Australians well, does what it says it will do, and to which every public servant is proud to belong. Irma has lots of experience, uh, more than 30 years helping organisations optimise productivity and employee wellbeing, and she was named uh, 2014 Telstra Businesswoman of the Year. So uh, with that, uh, welcome, Irma, to uh, to the podcast, uh, A National Perspective. Thanks, Gordon. Good to be here. Thanks. We might, uh, if it's okay, just start with uh, talking a little bit about how the pandemic evolved and how that affected you and South Australian public servants. I suspect it evolved the same as everyone else. Um, I think we were starting the year in a way that we normally start with all the plans in the world to to implement um, programs and the rest of it. I think in about February, we were hearing about this virus that seemed to uh, be somewhere else in the world, not here. Um, But it was around March when we were meeting as a senior executive group, um, and they're all the chief executives or secretaries, where we were starting to talk about preparing uh, business continuity plans. But we weren't sure what what we what we were uh, planning for, and I remember a pivotal point was, um, you know, the virus. I guess uh, appearing, having a few cases in each of the states, and um, the the kind of uh, I think it was really quite difficult to know because we're used to dealing with emergencies that start and stop. Uh, this one didn't. It had a kind of a slow start, um, and then a very quick with health advice a very quick, we've got to do something um, about uh, the workforce and keeping people safe and healthy. And I recall, I think it was over the weekend, it was around mid to late March, of course, for us in South Australia, where uh, over weekend, we had to, I guess, get as many public servants that that weren't in the front line working from home. Um, And I recall preparing what we call a whole of government, government email that actually said, We've got an issue here. We've got to keep everyone um, safe within uh, and healthy, our workforce and um, citizens. And I recall basically sending the message out where possible people needed to work from home. So I reckon it was around mid to late March when it was all happening for us here in South Australia. It literally was within 48 hours we had to deploy as many people to be working from home. Thanks. How did you um, – all, all jurisdictions have their own protocols and – ways to deal with the crisis or including a pandemic how 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 useful were they did, did it go by script on that or <laughs> a, fair, a fair bit of uh, yeah. uh, innovation and, and variation I think there was a lot of innovation and variation firstly the health 
the response, the emergency response was being managed by health. Um, you know, normally we have, um, and our state coordinator is the, uh, the chief of police, basically, um, so the police commissioner. Um, so they, they but, but now the uh, sort of coordinator of this emergency was actually the health department and I, I suspect the public health officer, um, uh, Professor Nicola Spurrier, who's done an exceptional job. But what we do know is that police and emergency services are used to dealing with emergencies. We've never had a pandemic before. So the scramble was really how quick were we getting information um, in relation to, I guess, the health um, warnings around the, the, the virus versus responding um, to an emergency that's actually not something you can't see. So, in fact, it, I think that the lessons learned here was we weren't waiting for someone to tell us, you know, I would contact someone in the chief uh, health uh, officer's office. They were doing the messages out to the community. I was in taking those messages, uh, you know, nuancing them for the public service. Then I'd get on to the police commissioner's uh, people to see what was actually happening until we had an um, emergency declared. So I think the innovation was that we didn't kind of care too much about, you know, waiting for someone to tell us, that we were actually picking that information up. I think sometimes we were probably falling over each other, but I think, the, you know, in hindsight, over-communicating and actually keep repeating the message was actually clearly the success of the day, is you keep talking to people. Thanks. Um, I'd like to go through three different topics through the conversation. What ones to start with around uh, the impact um, on how you provided services to the community, how, so how government continued its services to, to people. Then secondly, we'll go to public sector workplace and how workplace has changed, and you mentioned that. And the third is just some reflections on the nature of relationships um, within within government, with the community and, and within the uh, within the federation. So just to go to the, back to the first one on, on service delivery, can you talk a bit about how the pandemic affected or changed service delivery or how you, yep. how the public sector innovated to ensure services were provided? Well, well there, there was a couple of elements. I mean, uh, the one that was kind of the most significant and the, the one that the public probably um, could see was things like elective surgery got postponed, people doing driver's licence testing, you know, all the sort of services, uh, SA um, things that we had had to be paused. Um, in the case of education, uh, very proudly the department continued with education, but there was a point at which I think in, it was in that um, term two where we had actually sent teachers to, to do the online training from home, so the homeschooling. So, um and very quickly we redesigned technology around that. Um, I remember speaking to the police commissioner and he had sort of 24 or 25% of his workforce doing things that police officers never were trained to do. Um, and, of course, health was having to redirect things. So the front line had to change quite significantly. And now I mean that in a sense of, um, you know, grant applications, you know, the uh, our emergency centre was constantly getting inquiries from people that, you know, were losing jobs or didn't know what was happening, housing, that sort of stuff. So the front line was getting different kinds of inquiries and a surge in the kind of people that they need. But for, for the 26,000 or 30,000 public servants that are office-based that support all those emergency uh, or frontline workers or essential workers, they actually had to start working from home. We had about 50% of those. So it was 17,000 went out and worked from home. 
the challenge was to see if all of that could actually work online and we were proud. What happened was from an ICT perspective, we had some glitches but not a lot. People were able to get into emails. People were able to serve the community. We started to get more digital online. So, in fact, I, I've never seen, and this is the kind of platform you look for, we always were ready there were working from home arrangements, probably half of that. So we probably 20% of the workforce was working from home, that it was possible and it was possible at a rate that we've never seen before. And um, to this day, we still have lots of people working from home and productivity. Whilst we probably haven't measured, we've done quite a bit of surveying now. Uh, I think productivity has actually increased, but mental health and other things are the things we need to look out for because the blurred lines between when you start and when you stop work um, uh, 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 they're there when you're working from home. So that's kind of the response, and it seems to be seems to have worked really, really well, as you can see by the way we've managed South Australia. Yeah, thanks. There's a lot in that. Can I go back to this issue yeah. around um, on service delivery? You mentioned uh, using digital a lot more. Can yeah. you talk through some of the stories or some of the ways in which actual delivery changed and it became digitised and you could provide those services digitally rather than face-to-face? Well, a couple of things for me, if we talk about my own office personally, is that most of the work that we do is actually around leadership development um, and our own IPA basically had, to, ha you know, a lot of it's face-to-face -face training. So the first thing that we did um, was actually get all our um, uh, programs online. And uh, what was uh, amazing about that was that not only did we do that and the providers that were external uh, did it exceptionally well, um, we had a lot more participants, so a lot more people felt that they could connect and develop themselves sort of in a digital world more so than the physical. And I think there is a place for getting together with people, but but we've, we've done that and all our programs have actually gone online. Services SA, of course, you'd have to renew everything online and we've always wanted to do that, but that got accelerated. Um, and we've done a bit of work with an external consulting company to look at how we can transform the public sector. So what went digital, um, what we should continue to keep that. So um, a lot of the paying your bills, aligning um, the things that services SA do, whether it's renewal of registrations, licences and the rest of it, we were doing some of that. We accelerated that because people couldn't come into the centre and we're maintaining that. So we can actually do some sort of more value add in relation to that. And another gem, I think, for us was what we called, and you would have probably seen them through IPA, is an IPA on the couch series with all the key people that were involved in the emergency. So we had an on the couch series. I started the, the series. Then we had um, uh, uh, Nicholas Spurrier, our chief health officer, came along. We had mental health experts. We had the chief psychiatrist. And every week we would have someone talking about their leadership and basically reassuring people that things were working well. So basically we probably connected more than we've ever connected before because we actually had to do it differently. And it's, there's some real lessons in how you connect with people and it doesn't always have to be face-to-face. -face. And I'm sure there are many other, there were challenges from an ICT perspective in terms of, you know, what we call the sort of accessing through our VPN or Citrix or whatever. Um, I know that the ICT group that actually is a central group uh, within Premier and Cabinet were able to uh, allow access to every public servant that was working from home without having to go through that and securing it. 
which actually meant we could get on with the business very quickly. So there's just a couple of examples of how your system can actually do it. Um, uh, but the connecting with people and communicating was, I think, the key to success because people were, I think, if you if they didn't hear from you, they were fairly isolated. Yeah, oh, that's great. One of the uh, one group of the unsung heroes in all of this is going to be the IT teams. Uh, and yeah. hear it across the board how quickly they had to change and, and adapt and provide not just technology, but then also the access uh, and really quickly. Can I ask you, just in terms of the public, perception of the public service through this. Yes. Have you got a sense of how that's evolved? And uh, you talked about how to lock in some of the changes in digital yep. delivery of services, say, by Services SA. But uh, have you got any sense of how the public sees that, um, their own experience of service delivery? Um, um, look, uh, I, I believe that there, there have been some surveys, and I actually um, only saw something yesterday in, ter in terms of the public's perception of the public sector. Um, and it was a, a credible source. And, in fact, it was a workshop that we'd actually uh, been doing, um, just redirecting people in terms of what's next for the second half of the year. It had appeared that the perception and the trust in public service had actually doubled. I think it was originally around 20 to 30%. It was up around 60 70%. Um, you know, and I think one of your questions was, you know, do, do you know, if I, do I believe, you know, what's my perception of that? Look, I've been a long-term public servant and I, I know what the public service is capable of doing. I believe it's a very innovative institution and it has to be because it deals with complexity. I think what COVID's done is actually shown what is possible within the public service. It's a big, they're big organisations, but the fact that we could do what we did um, and maintain, I guess, uh, and it's really those 76,000 in South Australia frontline workers, they're putting themselves on the line every day. Um, so the perceptions around what we do of having uh, basically the trust has increased. I've always known it, but we've been able to prove it and show it during COVID. Yeah, that's great. That's a great statistic. Um, you mentioned, uh, say, on the service delivery, you've, you're using someone to go through and work through what to keep or what to retain on different delivery. Can you talk a bit about how, what sort of principles or how you go about that or how you define the metrics to to think about locking in yep. the changes to service delivery? Well, uh, we, we're using, what we did early on in the piece, uh, early on the piece when we were uh, starting to reflect on, you know, how do we actually learn and grow from this experience, um, we actually got together uh, ready, willing uh, CEs, basically, and we got an external um, company that actually has been doing some of the, this work globally. And we actually did um, sort of a webinar series and, and engagement piece over the last six weeks or four weeks. So we're in the middle of the pandemic and we're looking at um, how we collaborated, how we use technology and what were some of the faster, smarter and most cost-effective ways of actually doing things um, and thinking a little bit outside the square and how could we maintain the working from home and keeping that balance. So when did you need people in and when could you efficiently do work through your Zoom or Teams meetings? Um, what we did do, um, so, we could, so the key there was you consult with the leaders that were involved and they were leaders that ran either correctional service, so it was frontline, essential services and the rest of it. And we came up with actually three areas and now we've got a bit of a plan in place about what we might implement. One of those was reimagining service delivery for the community and some of that will actually be engaging with the community about what they think 
in relation to that. Some, some of it's digital, but others could be serving themselves in different ways, human services, grant applications, that sort of stuff. Um, and NGOs may be delivering because they're more on the front line than we are. So we, we've got some ideas from agencies around that. Accelerating the digital agenda, which I talked about, so digital reform and improving data. So, you know, basically we've done surveys. What data do we have now coming out of COVID that actually can inform how we might do things differently in the future? And we've got enough of that data, I believe, to be able to kind of say, well, let's maintain online services for, for all these things, whether it's registrations, births, deaths, marriages, you know, whatever licensing things, they were all digitised during that time. And then the third bit for me in particular is reshaping the workforce to be more adaptable and diverse um, and, and how do you, you know, do your frontline services differently? Um, what do you do to accelerate leaders' capabilities of dealing with a workforce that might not be present? Um, and how do you do with, um, I guess, managing productivity or managing performance when presenteeism isn't your only way of assessing that? There's a lot in that, and we can do that in a second podcast where I might be able to present <laughs> what the actual what the uh, strategies are. We're just about to sort of um, test that with the people that were involved and use it as part of our reform agenda going forward. Yeah, that's great. Uh, can you... Uh Talk a bit more about um, some of the changes in, in work work behaviour or work patterns. Uh, say um, the importance or the what you've seen about the the importance of teams. How to exercise leadership. Um, what's the role of hierarchy? Is there too much or too little? Um, how do you how do you deal with when often when you're in a crisis? It might be a bit of command and control of getting something done, as opposed to enabling people to make decisions on the ground quickly that might be important for, for outcomes. So, yeah. Yep. So what, the one thing that we did um, we did need was actually, and we prepared actually a manager's toolkit um, around the sorts of things that they need to, so checklists around how you do performance management remotely. Um, our uh, programs that we did online was how they basically um, manage themselves first in relation to their own anxiety about what's going on, their ability to meet um, their deadlines, and then more importantly, managing what is a remote workforce. And all of those, I mean, I would say it's adaptive leadership. Um, and uh, I think if you have resilience, if you're adaptable, if you yourself as a leader uh, is a, a fairly agile, you don't need to be seeing people and you connect with people via the ways that we've actually got, you managed it quite well. But, of course, we're not all the same. And there are a lot of managers who don't, you know, philosophically believe or they need to see their team or believe that their work was actually, you needed to be here to actually do it. And I think there, there was a, a significant paradigm shift that, that's required and some may not even make it. So, you know, little things like, you know, we needed to, get all the things lined up for people to return, and that is the social distancing. You couldn't use every desk. Um, you needed the hand sanitizer. You couldn't use the cutlery. And so actually we were working towards, you know, uh, activity-based work, and all of a sudden that's completely changed. Um, and mm. then the question around infrastructure and buildings and what, what, uh, what purpose do they serve is now being kind of asked. So... 
Um, it's been actually, and so when it comes to an emergency like this, I've found that they wanted direction immediately from this office. So one voice, that was really important. So CEs were saying, well, what are we doing about working from home? Are they coming back? What date is that happening? What do we need to tell them? That was all coming from health, but you needed a pivotal point. We did that. And here's some tools on how you actually do it. Um, so the command and control bit was very well received. Um, it's it's really the bit that happens now in maintaining it and those that can't cope with the fact that it's actually not going to go back to what it was because a mm. pandemic is going to continue for a long time. And I think what I'm seeing is anxiety. So we haven't talked about mental health, but I actually think mental health and well-being for every layer of the hierarchy is actually really important. And I think it has questioned some people's, whether it's middle management, um, top management needs to provide that leadership. But one would start to question what is my role if I can't see the people that I'm doing and if I didn't value being a leader. If I was doing things but I can't, I'm not here doing things with my people, I think, it, you know, there are some people that have struggled with that. So it's about giving them, I guess, the tools to actually say you still have people, you just need to engage with them in a different way. You need to communicate in these ways and 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 you need to operate teams. Some weren't as IT literate as others and didn't know how to put on the headpiece or, you know, do the Teams or Zoom meeting or felt really uncomfortable um, doing that. So it's required, I guess, people to, you know, I'm comfortable with it because I actually have to adapt um, because of, you know, I've raised children, come in the workforce, work part-time and the rest of it. So I've found that people that have that adaptive leadership capability are, are managing it's much better and, in fact, thriving. You know, you're thriving yeah. on the change and the innovation. And for me, it's accelerated a whole lot of things that I think we should have been doing probably about 10 years ago in less than five months. So, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it, how, how quickly some of those changes have happened. On, on mental health, one thing, uh, it, it's a very wide-ranging and, frankly, uh, is probably one of the biggest problems in, in workforces in general, but also in public sector workforces and the, the sort of things you're describing. Well, what some places have been doing is going in very directly rather than just saying in an email, are you okay? Of going in very directly and talking to people or getting psychologists to talk to staff. Have you, what, what, what's been happening in South Australia on those sorts of issues about directly engaging on that? Oh, look. I actually think this is going to be the number one issue, to be quite honest. I think that the bit I haven't touched on, of course, is the impact on the economy. Um, whilst public servants are considered maybe safe in their employment, many might have partners or family members that have lost jobs. Um, and and therefore, um, all of that in the mix and the lack of um, sort of the social isolation, um, and in particular for younger workers who are more unemployed, um, it, I think it's a significant issue. We've been doing quite a bit because we had quite a bit of feedback from our survey, so the I Work for SA survey, that actually said mental health and wellbeing is actually an issue prior to any COVID. And we've actually developed what we're calling a Mentally Healthy Workplaces Toolkit, and we launched that about a year ago. It's been a fantastic um, uh, uh, and we had an action plan. Every agency had an action plan. Coming out of that, which actually gives all the tools and, and uh, for managers to deal with issues when they're happening in their workplace. In terms of psychologists, um, one thing we have developed is a, um, a peer support program. So part of the 
um, uh, outcomes of the uh, Mentally Healthy Workplaces Toolkit is that we would uh, start to train about a thousand, uh, or I think we've done more than that, um, peer support officers across the sector. And they do it well in emergency services when they deal with. So peer support officers, we've trained about a thousand in um, what we call mentally mental first aid and uh, mental health first aid. Uh, out of the pandemic, um, the government actually uh, committed to another hundred being trained immediately in those frontline worker areas, and we're doing that right now, and it's a virtual mental health first aid. Um, I worked very closely with the chief psychiatrist. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a fantastic wellbeing uh, strategy for the state, for citizens, but the chief psychiatrist and I worked together to ensure that not only did we get the peer support, extra people trained, but now we're offering another two or three EAP sessions with psychologists for all our frontline workers. So that is being funded by the government. So you can have up to three sessions. Now frontline workers in and during this pandemic can have up to six sessions with a psychologist. And when I talked about our On the Couch series, I have a series on mental health. So I had uh, our chief psychiatrist and believe it or not, thousands of people tuned in, public servants, and they were getting tips on how to manage their, their life and and the stresses and the rest of it. So coming from a psychiatrist, and then I had Luke Broomhall, who's a psychologist, um, who does a lot of um, work with child protection and other places. And Luke and I will have a series where people can just tune in and get some tips on how they manage some of that. So we're seriously thinking about the mental health and anxiety and, you know, the increasing kind of statistics around um, what's happening, in particular to younger people and our workers as we go through something that we've never had before. That, that's really important. I think that's fantastic. Um, can I shift now to, say, talk a bit about our relationships and uh, got any reflections on how you saw the service working together, but also how you saw the service working with the community and, and with ministers? Um, so the nature of that interaction between public servants mm. with each other, the community and with ministers? Um, I think that public service is probably very good at that. Um, and I talked about the complexity of working in, in government, is that uh, for the people that have worked in the public service, they understand. Um, so when we have an emergency, I think the burning platform always kicks in the innovation and the resilience. Um, I think that when you look at our frontline workers and even you look at the community and, and what we were all doing to do the right thing, um, uh, it, it was second to none. So the the everyone was rallying behind, say, health, uh, police and whatever they told us to do, we would kind of deploy our resources. So, you know, I wait for the state coordinator to tell us what we need or someone from health. So the court, the, the collaboration uh, uh, between all the other agencies. I've just sent out something to all the chief executives because we need to, we, we, I didn't talk about our mobilisation policy. So we actually mo had a mobilisation policy, Cabinet approved it, and I became the mobilisation coordinator. So when someone needs people, we deploy them. So the, the, we want to use them within the public service. Um, the Treasurer wants that, the Premier wants that, and over 800 to 1,000 public servants have been deployed in the necessary areas. All I need to do is to email or talk to the Chief Executives and they will deploy the people that they can as long as they're not essential service people. Um, and I just did it this morning. 
the um, South Australian police actually need border assessment officers to assess applications coming across the border, um, and they needed they need 30 or so by next week. And I have every chief executive allocating um, staff to do that. So I the collaborations there. We all know what the end game is. It's what health, police, um, and any other emergency services area. So grant applications, that sort of stuff. We're deploying people depending on where the the need is. So we can collaborate. We can share. Um, and and we 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 basically um, inform up to ministers that need it. So when I was doing the joint application with the chief psychiatrist, it was a submission to the minister for health. That's not my minister, but I worked on that. So together we went and presented what we thought was needed, and I kept my minister informed. So I believe public servants do this well, and we've certainly proven that South Australia can. Do you feel that the relationship with ministers has changed? I think the relationship with ministers and Premier um, has changed in a way, because this uh, is a fairly new government, has changed because they have a much deeper understanding of the public sector, that mm. that we have been able to show why the South, while the public service exists, the public sector exists, and we've also proven how important we are in, in the current circumstances, how important we are for the survival of our citizens and for protecting our citizens. It's, and, and that's, I've heard the Premier say that so many times. Yeah, that's great. Can I ask, uh, just, uh, we've got, we're running out of, we're finishing up, uh, just two very quick questions. Sure. What One's uh, just around the Federation. Have you, what's your observation in uh, in a minute on, on the Federation? And then I'll come back to ask you a personal question, Emma. Okay. Um, expand a bit on what you mean, the Federation. Well, has it worked? Uh, has uh, South Australian seen that it's uh, it, it's so it's closed its borders at various times to other states? What's what's the what do you see the relationship then with other states? What do you see the relationship with the Commonwealth? Okay, so um, it's probably we're, we, it, it's been great. Um, I think what's happening at the moment, in particular around the borders, um, is quite challenging um, uh, in relation to our Victoria border and the rest of it. One thing I can say is the South, uh, the Australian commissioners, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, we've all worked together over the last month or so to come up with a national framework uh, for how we might um, second or deploy resources at a national level. And uh, we're about to publish that and the National Cabinet has asked for that. Um, and we have, within a week or two, come up with um, a way that we would actually share resources. We continue to be the home agency. I know that this has happened in the emergency services. We're just about to expand that at every level across um, across government. I think that's probably the best example of how the Federation can actually work. Because I think emergency services do it really well within their own um, uh, areas, and often it's uh, based on relationships and uh, how you know each other when they deploy people for ambulance, and we've done that, nurses, doctors. Um, uh, I'm seeing a lot more with a border. There is a border commissioner between Victoria and South Australia. We're working very closely with them. But I think the best example of the Federation is just what's happened with the commissioners and a national framework for how we might do this, depending on where we go with the pandemic, but it can be used for a whole lot of things. Okay, that's great. Just uh, for, for the last 30 seconds, um, I'm going to ask you a personal question. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, of um, what, what, what did you in this process in this time? What, what have you learnt about yourself? Um, 
what I've learned about myself is that I, I believe I'm really good in an emergency situation. I think that uh, if there's disruption, um, I'm, I'm the person that can actually pull it together. Um, I feel very protective of people, um, so I felt that I needed to make sure I have ageing parents and the, and the rest of ageing mother, so I was really worried. So I, I'd have to be honest, I was quite anxious about what that meant and our own well-being and where were we going, but it, it didn't matter. I was in the office every day and it was almost devastating to see businesses not open. Um, and for me, um, it, showed, it showed me that I'm actually quite resilient, um, but you actually have to make sure that you take a break because this could burn you out. And I think there are peaks and troughs of going, I'm really tired, and then days where it feels like Groundhog Day and what do we do next? So like anyone, I had a human response to it, but but very happy to step in when I needed to show the leadership and, and show the way around leave, putting out a determination around COVID and how people that were sick would be looked after in the public service, but also how do they manage their own mental health as well. So resilient would be it in a word. Yeah. Thank you so much, and Thanks, thank Gordon. you also for your contribution thank uh, you. and what you what you've done uh, for the for the people of South Australia. Thank so you. So that, that's great. I, I really really appreciate it, Irma. Thank you. It's lovely uh, being here. Thanks. So, audience, uh, thank you for listening to this week's National Perspective, and I look forward to hosting more state and territory public sector leaders across our nation. And I hope you'll tune in again soon as we share more insights on public administration. Thank you, Irma, and until then, bye. And there you have it, another great conversation hosted by Dr Gordon DeBrower. Work with Purpose, a national perspective. Work with Purpose is part of the GovComs podcast network and if you do want to check out that GovComs podcast, please type it into your favourite podcast browser and it is sure to come up. If you do happen to come across our social media promotion for Work With Purpose, please pass it along and share it because it will help it to be found. And if you do have enough time to give us a generous rating, probably a five-star review, that would be appreciated as well because that will help us to be discovered. Thanks again to our good friends at IPA and to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support. And thanks to you, the audience, for coming back once again. That's it for now. We'll be back at the same time next week. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Bye.